Greetings, ladies and mentalgents, and welcome to the latest chapter of Oz Magica, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links are down below, and please like, comment, and subscribe like any good minion of the algorithm would do. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. I'd quickly like to thank the following Tier 5 patrons and channel members for supporting the channel. Data Magnet and Bob the Dragon. Thank you very much. Chapter 26 There were two clogged figures of disproportionate sizes walking in the desert. The taller one carried a backpack stuffed with all manner of mechanical parts and knickknacks. The shorter carried a backpack as well, although it was significantly smaller to fit its frame and it was full with food instead. The two figures were also separated by gender as well as a vast age difference. As the male figure was nearly what could be expected to be at the end of its life, and the younger female seemed to only just be the beginning of hers. Their course appeared to lead in the direction of a massive object in the distance, although they weren't exactly rushing towards it. Every once in a while, the older one would stop to chant and then point at a specific spot. The younger one would then use earth magic to bring up whatever metal hunk that had been detected. He would spend hours tearing it apart, storing parts of it that he thought useful in his already bulging pack, and then finally he head onwards. All the while, the younger waited with impatient looks between her companion and their destination. How many times are we going to stop? The younger one finally asked. At this, the hulk of a cobalt turned to the eve at his side and gestured to the sun-streaked sky. We will continue doing this till the sun sets, Missy. I know you haven't traveled much through the desert, but this kind of general thing that you are supposed to do. Wait until sundown and then move while the air is cool. Don't worry, you'll get to your towers soon. At this, the cobalt's hand fell down towards his side and he kept moving along. Not to be overtaken, the little Eve scurried as fast as her legs could carry her. As had been mentioned, it wasn't until sundown that they actually picked up the pace, and by then, she feared the reason that they made the strip would be all in vain. As they finally moved notably towards their goal, she thought back to why she was returning to this place. After all, there weren't exactly many happy memories attached to it for her. She had been dealt a rather poor hand in this car game that was fate. All she could remember were barred doors and locks everywhere. She could not remember a time when she was truly happy, nor anything of her parents either. She only remembered the lone companion that they had allowed her in the cell. That companion was the reason of her return. Of course, she knew it might be pointless. Her escape from that tower had been a stroke of luck that she direly needed. But she had to leave her sole companion behind when she jumped at the chance to get away. Now, she couldn't stop thinking about the reason why she was coming back. Walking for several days in the desert. Nothing could have survived the collapse, not even a Karis. But she refused to accept that Karis was gone until she'd actually seen the body. It was so frustrating. When she arrived at the village after her escape, she wanted to immediately get some help and turn around, but no one was even willing to entertain the idea of coming here. People were so scared of what this place represented that they weren't even willing to go into its ruins. It wasn't until the cobalt answered the flyer that she had posted in the guild that she started to feel a shred of happiness. 
He had agreed to lead her back here, and uh, with a little amount of earth magic she could use, she felt like she could be a lot of use to the mechanist in return. She was brought out of her musings as the man in question simply stated, We're here! She lifted her gaze upwards to look at a former prison. There it lay, crumbling, tilted on its side, leaning against the cliff which used to hold the suspended bridge which was the entrance. Ivy, used to grow up the sides of the tower, had fallen down onto the sand, detached, crushed, and turned grey. The tower's cobblestones had been all but reduced to near its base, although its structure was intact until it met the cliff. There, she could barely see a cloven top part resting against the cliff, halfway caved in. Again, she was torn from her thoughts by a voice of the kobold. By the by, I don't think you've mentioned what exactly we're looking for. The girl gazed downwards towards the old man before looking back towards the ruin. It's a banff. At that, the kobold stopped in his tracks, his tail going still. You want to search for a little thing like that? The girl nodded, not even giving him a look as she stepped forward towards the base of the tower. Her steps firmed by the determination that colored her voice. I know it's not much, Grindons, but she's all I had. The cabalt was silent, and she could not hear much from him as she moved through the sands. Until finally, she heard the shuffle of footsteps behind her. Satisfied, she continued her determined stride, cresting the final dunes. The blisters on her legs throbbed, and the sand whipped by. But she never faltered, until she was picked up somewhat haphazardly by the larger cabalt. Money, you... The girl started to ask. Now that our destination is in sight, I feel like continuing to walk at your pace is not conducive towards getting there anytime soon. I do not want to stay in the desert any longer than needed. The elf looked briefly confused before nodding once, and the cabalt flipped her around and secured her on his back. While she was, understandably, a bit upset at her rough treatment, she finally admitted that it might be necessary. She did wonder what exactly got Credence to be so full of energy all of a sudden. Before, he had seemed so more reserved. But now that he'd actually seen the prison she had been kept in for so long, he was striding forward, as if boosted by the wind. It didn't take much longer for them to reach the shattered monolith. While everything else was mostly dunes in this desert, the area around the fallen tower was fresh and had not had enough time for sand to pile up. So, it was mostly just a downhill journey, sliding down to the final dune towards the base of the tower. When they finally reached it, however, there was a bit of complication. The path that she had taken to escape the tower wasn't exactly open anymore. Even the brief time that she had wasted in the village had done that to the exit, as rocks had fallen and covered everything. There was also an issue that some of the other possible entrances that had been exposed since the escape were either too small, too high up, all jagged and unstable, to actually get through them without a loose rocks or bricks breaking free and falling down on top of you while you were trying to get through. Not seeing any obvious entry, Credence stared at the girl. It wasn't just because he was overly analytical, but also because the girl had displayed signs of knowing earth magic. She'd let him think so. Although reality was somewhat different, she hadn't even broken her mind sphere yet, so, real magic was something that she was still unable to do. The effects that made it look like she was using earth magic 
was actually just a little bit of her own talent, along with focus and some theater. It was going to be fairly hard for her to consistently pull off any major accomplishment, but she got the unspoken message and succeeded in performing her little rituals to direct the talent that she did have. Tumbling rocks and stone moved away and exposed a circular hole as moonlight shone through into the darkness of the room. Credence was the first one to cross the newly created threshold. As she moved her forward herself, she realized the reason for his unconcerned vault through the new doorway when she saw all the items scattered around the now-exposed chamber. There were tattered books on the floor and trinkets galore, perhaps holding some unknown arcane utility or purpose. Entranced by the potential riches, he didn't even see the small drop in front of him, and he stumbled a little, before regaining some dignity. He set to work gathering as much as he could while the girl climbed in behind him. She recognized this room. It was the first room she had seen when she was brought here. It was kind of strange that it was near the bottom of the tower since she had been brought from a tower that was more towards the topside cliff. Perhaps she didn't recall fully because she had been asleep for most of that journey. She gazed around, noting the tables and chairs had been toppled over. Many broken, and some bookshelves were lying on their side. The thing that really stood out the most to her was the desk. She remembered the giant man that used to sit behind it, judging her. Now there was only his bones picked clean by some monsters or desert-dwelling animals. She tried not to dwell on those memories. That isn't what she was here for after all. She was here to save her only friend. The only reason she even came back was because she couldn't find Karis amongst everything else when the tower cracked. The only thing she did find were corpses of fellow children and some of the people that had been in charge of the tower. There had been bodies of some animals that had been given to other children, but there was nothing that was hers. She couldn't find the corpse of Karis. So with renewed determination, she set out to find the mate's staircase. If her memory served her right, it would be right in the middle of the tower. She would have to pass through a couple of the rooms to get there, however, since the tower's base was wide. The cabalt didn't seem to notice her leave, which suited her just fine. She passed through medical rooms and other offices before entering the main stairwell, and from there, she traveled up. It took her a fair bit to remember exactly which room she had been in, as well as what level it had been on. They didn't exactly keep maps handy in the holding areas. However, from what she could tell from the inside, the holding facilities had been near the middle of the tower, maybe three or four floors below where the top had sheared off. As she passed up the stairs, she noticed things that she hadn't when going down before. There were claw marks on the walls and gnaw marks on the bones, and even loose teeth scattered about. She knew that there were desert beasts out in the wilderness, and sometimes they had entered the tower by mistake. But from the way that the managers had talked about it, that was usually mostly a nuisance. They weren't ever big enough to actually pose a threat, only coming in to about chin height. So, seeing something with a jaw big enough that could gnaw bones and nearly swallow them, from what she could see, made her friend... Although she figured the beast mostly stayed in the lower portions of the tower, since that is where the exits and entrances were. Plus, the environment was all wrong near the top, 
since it led out into the grasslands, which covered the top of the cliff, instead of the proper deserts below that most of the beasts came from. So while she was a bit upset from all the evidence of beast activity, she was certain that her cobalt bodyguard could keep whatever it was at bay, if not destroyed entirely, if it were to enter the tower from the base. Karis, are you there? Her voice echoed out through the tower. It seemed to bounce a bit before coming back to her almost mockingly. She ran through the hallways, looking through each of the cell doors, continuing to call out, even raising her voice to almost yelling. She was sure the Cretans could even hear her, as far down as he was, a couple times. It wasn't until she arrived at her old cell that she realized that maybe Karis wouldn't be there. Then she heard something, almost like a whisper. Karis! She kept calling, hoping to get her bamp to speak up, maybe even let her triangulate its location. She was hearing more responses now. They were obviously an answer to her calls, and she could tell that it was getting closer. It wasn't until she got to the main room of the floor that she realized what had happened. There, tucked away under the rubble and dug into the corpse of a fallen god, lay her friend. She recognized the guard mainly from the ID that had fallen out of his pocket, as their face was now unrecognizable. That guard had been someone who seems to get joy out of kicking Karis whenever she was around. She leapt forward and wrapped her arms around her friend. She could feel gentle licking on her face, almost as if Karis was trying to lap away the tears on her face. She'd done it. She'd finally gotten her friend back. Now all there was left to do was head back to the village and live out the rest of these days in relative comfort and in silence. Maybe even pick up farming. Who knows? She hadn't even gotten a class yet after all. However, before she was feeling happy, now all she could feel was sadness at what happened. Her friend being alone in this town for a whole month without her. She whispered words of comfort to her only friend, until credits showed up. Marlon, thank merciful, what is that? She looked up to find him standing over her. Confused, she tilted her head. What are you talking about, credits? This is Karis, my bamf. She held her up proudly as she patted the furball furiously. Its tongue hit the floor and its ears pricked up. You don't, um... Credence stopped. It was clear to him that Malin couldn't see what her bamf had become. It wasn't any fault of her own, of course. Not many children could tell the difference between beasts and monsters, after all. With that, the cabalt realized that what he had been presented with the decision he didn't think he'd have to make on his journey. Either he let this thing live and hope that nothing happened, or he would have to take it out. Each choice came with its own problems. The first was to let the thing evolve however it wanted to. However, knowing monsters, it would grow large enough that emotions like happiness could no longer sustain it. The other was to kill it, here and now. That, of course, is the only viable option for him. However, that choice also came with its own issue. The girl. Thinking on it, he was saddened to find the only one possible choice. Nothing he could make or get could solve this without him knowing the cause of the problem itself. Once he killed the monster, he doubted that she would retain any will. With a sigh, he resolved himself to do what must be done. 
he sat down on the dust-covered floor inside the cell and handed a ration towards the Ev. If it's going to be traveling with us, best get fed, right? She happily reached for the small piece of meat before pushing it towards the thing. That was the moment that was probably the happiest she was going to be in the foreseeable future. As it turned out, that was the moment both the monster and Credence was waiting for. Each struck with a speed that seemed unnatural. The first because of its swift body conditions and whip-like tongue, and the second because of his hidden devices. In a second, that was done, and the monster and the girl lay dead, both by his hand. He leaned down and picked up the severed pieces of the monster and threw some of them out of the barred window into the sunlight and sand. Carefully, he picked up the still-smiling corpse of the girl and carried her up the steps. He passed by more trinkets and books scattered along the floor and saw desks full of secrets that he did not know. He went up floor after floor, passing smash labs and more cells until he finally reached the broken top, filled with sunlight. Soon, his devices stopped giving him bonuses and the weight of the body that he carried finally became noticeable, almost as it began seeping into his bones. Thankfully, the remaining devices didn't need to take him very far, just to a patch of grass a slight distance away from the tower that was all that remained of that group of madmen. He laid her down onto the grass and began digging with his hands. After he felt like he'd gone deep enough, he turned back towards the girl. He looked towards her haggard body and felt immense sadness. She had gone for two entire days after all, and it looked like she didn't care for herself at all while she was within the rack. At first, when he realized that she had separated from him and he stopped hearing her calling out, Credence had thought that perhaps the silence that stretched from her untimely cut cries had been her falling prey to a beast that had taken up residence within the tower. So, he carefully went up the tower, looting and listening for any signs of the thing which took her. Nothing. Nothing for a day. Until he heard sobbing. He assumed that perhaps she had found her pet's corpse, but it was certainly a surprise to find the thing still alive. He was too late, though. The thing had already gotten a hold of the girl's mind, with something that he couldn't trace. Pheromones, perhaps. Either way, the outcome had been decided long ago. He sighed as he laid her gently down into the hole. He said a quick prayer and let her be absolved of any sins she unknowingly committed took the few coins she had, closed her eyes, and put the paw of the creature between her hands. Like this, she almost seemed happy in death. Then he began pouring the dirt back over her body. Throughout it all, he couldn't help but stare at the wound he caused, the large hole in between her eyes, the edges flash burned. Once she was covered, he set out to gather wildflowers and plant them around the spot. Now it could be properly called a grave. He left some parting words upon the grave before dealing with one last task. He looked back towards the tower from the cliff and thought back on all the books he found and read inside. He sent manor pulse towards the devices he prepared at the base, and an explosion ripped the foundations of the tower. Instantly, flames leapt up from both sides around the monument, the stone itself seemed to burn slowly to ash, almost at the same pace as it was falling over before it hit the ground 
with an earth-shattering thud. Manipulate Construct has gained a level. For earning one level in all class-related skills, Skill Arcanist has gained a level. The voice of the gods interrupted any sense of remorse he had towards destroying such a font of knowledge, no matter how corrupt. He turned away from the smoke-filled air and set upon the road that he hadn't been on for quite a while. His goals had been dealt with, except one. All that was left was to head to that one who corrupted the usage of the wondrous monument to such a nefarious purpose, towards the place where it all began, where he controlled everything. Erinid. End of chapter. Chapter 27 Ow. My tongue is stuck to the roof of my mouth, and ripping it off just hurts like hell. Need water or something. Gotta get this taste out of it. Lights also shining in my goddamn eyes. Can't see where the damn. Marvel, Marvel, are you up yet? As my eyes adjust to the light, I think I can finally tell what's going on. It's morning. More at least I think it is. It's dang bright outside. However, I think I can hear, uh, snoring. Uh, I look over to find Marwell this fast asleep. I wonder why he can snore. Eh, how would I know? I wasn't a biology student. But being mute shouldn't let you do that. Oh, crap. God damn my leg. The hell was that? I rub my leg down and get the feeling back into it. As I avoid the table in the middle of the carriage, once I stop aching, I lean against the fabric wall. It still hurts, but at least I can put pressure on it. So, might as well see what the loud noise was. Lifting the curtain door aside, I stare out into the night. Wait. Light? Wasn't there a lot of light coming in? Now that, am I hallucinating something? As my eyes adjust to the darkness, I finally see what made the noise. A goddamn rhino pullback thing fell over. God damn it. Must be why Marwal is still asleep. Crap like this happens all the time. No wonder he became desensitized. Sighing, I head back in, but uh, something is stopping me. Something's wrong about the situation. What is it? Gojo! Yeah, that's it. That's the problem here. He's not here. Wait. Should I be worried? I mean, he could be hunting or something. Yeah, probably just wanted to get some food or something. Wait, uh, he's a plant. Maybe he wanted to get food for us? Yeah, maybe. All right, I had to sleep. I close the curtain and head back down towards my mat. Hopefully, it doesn't take as long to fall back asleep as it did in the first place. Sleeping on a wooden floor ain't exactly conducive to getting good sleep. I sigh as I lay back down and try to grab some spare mats and bunch them up for a pillow. Sleep, please come. God damn it, why is the light back again? It's the morning. Ow, what the hell? I sit up, rubbing my head. I think I rolled over in my sleep or something because the back of my head feels like crap. Wait, is it morning? For real this time? I open my eyes to find Marwal sitting at the table in the middle with the ready-made sign next to him. Took you long enough. What do you mean? He looks over, notices I'm awake, and switches the board over to a pre-written one. 
It's way past sunrise. You should have been awake a while ago. Look, no one decides my sleep schedule, least of all me. I can't control when I go to sleep or even if I wake up in the middle of the night due to a goddamn mount we have. At this, he looks fairly confused and actually writes down something. Probably for the first time today. What uh, do you mean? He slept like a baby, didn't he? Didn't even hear any of it. All the goddamn noises it made running around kept waking me up. At this, his eyes gain a bit of mirth as a gasping laugh rolls through the carriage. Finally, he stops and sighs before looking back towards some papers in front of him. What are you looking at? He looks up at me and holds up a paper point and a bunch of symbols. It kind of translates as, uh, expenditures. Crap, am I being a burden on you? He shakes his head before handing out another somewhat bigger tablet and proceeding to etch upon it. No, it, it is not your fault. Even with you being here, there is still money that I have lost, albeit less because of you. You did your job very well and earned more than enough to cover the food that we've been eating. Curious, that still leaves the question though. Why are you in debt if you sold so much? He points to another parchment, reparations. Ah, that still doesn't explain shit. What? He sighs before wiping away the stuff on the tablet. I sold people products and they blame me for the issues related to them. Now I could stop asking questions. I need to finish all these calculations. I need these tablets for that more than answering your questions right now. Ah, bills. Yeah, probably would be hard to deal with it if you didn't have access to a calculator to do most of the functions. Wait, I could learn their symbols for math, then I, uh... No, wait, um, why the hell would I do that? It's confusing enough to see symbols shifting every so often. I don't want to deal with math again. I sigh as I fully sit up and stretch out my back. It pops in various places before I stand up. Wait, the carriage is moving. I thought he had to control it to get it to move, but, um, guess not. Kojo! I rush towards the front entrance and throw open the curtain and, uh, what? What is... Hey, Dave. Pretty neat, huh? What is, uh... Why is he like this? And how can he talk? I mean, before I could understand it because of the skill that me read his, uh, intentions, I guess. Now he's actively able to talk in words. Sure, I still have to translate, but it sounds similar to most of the other voices I've heard. Hey, Kojo, um, uh, Why exactly are you, uh... There, on the driver's seat, lay Kojo. Now, you might be wondering, in a logic, how exactly could Kojo sit in a little rickety dinky bench? He's not exactly people's size, and his weight alone would have broken it. Well, that's kind of the answer. He's not that size anymore. In fact, he's smaller than when I first met him. Yeah, I got this deal kind of unexpectedly last night. Figured that I'd try it out. So, what do you think? I, um, should I give him my honest opinion? He's, uh, no, I shouldn't. It wouldn't be nice to say that to him. I think that that is perhaps the coolest thing I've seen all day. There, an answer that is kind of true, given that most of the day I've been seeing taxes. Or something like that. Yeah, I knew you would like it. Now, no one can see me coming. I am the perfect hunter now. No... Don't face 
Don't be dreaming. You can't. No. No. Not smiling. I can feel you trying. Just don't. No. No matter what happens, don't. Don't freaking break. Yeah. Combat advantage is a great now. I don't even know how I said that with a calm voice. My friend smiles at me as he pumps a paw into the air. Now you don't have to worry about me being seen when there's no trees. Why must you do this to me? I can't, I can't hold it anymore. It's coming out without any pretense. I pick him up and squeeze. I'm sorry, man. Just, just so huggable now. No, it's not. It's just cute. For some reason, my big intimidating woven treant has turned into this little mossy pup. His legs that used to be massive trunks now seem to only be growing bark. His ears, which were before wooden knots, can now move a fair bit more due to the flexibility of the softer wood. His moss, thankfully, didn't leave his body and only made him look fluffier than I'd expect him to be. His teeth, while still sharp, seemed to be a bit more well-adjusted in his mouth, where before they were a tad too big. His tail is also shorter and has the same amount of moss on it as before, so it's even fluffier. I just, uh, I, I can't not hug him. I'm a dog person now, damn it. It's okay. I know you wanted to do that for a while now. You kept trying to while you were riding me, after all. No, it's not why I did it. Sure, back then I had to make sure that it didn't fall off while you were speeding across the plains. But not now, though. No matter what, I will take the secret to my grave if I have to. I don't want him to feel like I'm being demeaning to him, after all. How do you even do this? I relaxed myself and laid the little pup on my lap. He can fit on my lap now. <sighs> Must resist urge to pet. I guess it was me hunting enough or something. Wait, he doesn't know. Should I... Wait, yeah... I can just analyze him. It should pop up what had changed. Name, Gojo. Race, Timber Marifosa. Affinity, Fauna, Holy. Class, Ondas, Chosen, Level 10. Title, Loyal, Warrior, Intuitive. Level 5. HP, 3550. MP, 1440. AP, 500. Chosen. What the hell is that? Wait. Didn't Kojo mention an Onda before? Like it was a god or something. Wait, uh, does that mean there's a god watching him right now? Um, uh, don't know if this is good or bad or whatever have you. Best to just congratulate him. Plus, if that god gave him this ability, I don't really see how they can be that bad. Plus, he gained an affinity for... holy? Is that really an affinity? Weird. Also, his level went seriously down. But his stats are so good still. I wonder why. Either way, congrats, bud. Didn't expect you to get this kind of thing. The little pup tilts its head before staring back towards the open road. Neither did I. We sit in comfortable silence while we ride. I sigh as the wind strokes my face and the smell of flowers floats in the breeze from patch that I can see a bit away. What are you doing? Huh. I look down to find... Ah, crap. I've been petting him. Um, you don't have to stop. Just wondering why you're doing it. Is it not uncomfortable? I figured since he was so proud, he, he might not like it. 
It's because it's relaxing. He stares at me for a while before laying his head down. Yes, it is. I wait for a bit, but nothing else is said. Slowly reaching down to stroke his back. We stay like this for a while until I accidentally brush the softer wooden ear. Sorry. No, it's fine. Had some stuff stuck in that spot anyway. Is he, uh... He might be hinting at something. Anywhere else? A real test here. Mostly the joints. You wouldn't believe how often things end up in there. It's not enough. I need confirmation. I hear you. You want me to get those places too? If you wouldn't mind, getting those places clean will probably let me stick myself together better. Yes! Except that last bit. Something is bothering me about his wording. What do you mean? Most things that end up stuck there are necessary things I can control like the rest of my body. If something happens to get in there, I just have to work around it. I nod. All right, so direct me. He guides my hand to places with his moss. As I scratch earnestly, doesn't seem to be acting like most dogs I've seen would in this situation. Honestly, it feels like I'm just giving him a massage. I'm not really complaining, though. Doing this does give me some dopamine hits, so it's fine. And so we spent the rest of the day on that bench. I'm scratching him all over while he stared out into the open fields. From time to time, Marvel comes out to redirect the beast of burden and give us some sandwiches. I was kind of surprised to find that he'd had roast beef or something like it. He, of course, already knew about Kojo's transformation and didn't say anything, the jerk. However, he seemed to have the same reaction I have, though. So, at least we bonded over cuteness. He wasn't surprised by him talking, though. Apparently, animals can sometimes speak, if they have enough intelligence. Though, it's mostly simple words. He thinks that perhaps I had something to do with that, but I'm not too sure. Other than that, I can safely say that the day was relatively calm. I can hope that the night is at least as somewhat calm. Even if he has a good health now, I don't really know how he'll be able to deal with monsters or other things on the road. He can't possibly have the strength or rigidity he used to have. He's been brought back at such a low level, after all. End of chapter. Chapter 28 System Include by Naren A History of the Kingdom of Adriag Written by Kreleb Sildan In her fiftieth year before I get into more important details of the middle period of Adriang, I must first talk about something not too many people have much knowledge about, that being wishes. Most people often have stories attached to the utterly powerful concept, which are often told amongst their culture. Someone prays harder, or perhaps gotten such a big important quest reward that they've received the opportunity to have and use one. However, not all is as it seems. Wishes are, in fact, powerful. They can do almost anything with your time here and so. You can get any amount of title, monetary value, or even a change in the event from the past. With wishes, all are possible. Except that's usually not how it goes. You are projecting what you've heard onto a concept which doesn't exist. Sure, wishes are real, but they are often not as powerful as some people say. 
When you first get a wish, you're also given an amount that you can wish for. No matter what, they always have a hard limit. The exact cost it takes for the wish to fully deplete is variable. More often than not, wishes accomplish the same task in different ways for different people. For example, if someone wishes that they would have received a title of Lord, the wish can do anything at once to make that occur. Trial, by combat, or even them having the title for their entire lives. However, wishes can only do one thing with the amount of power they originally possess. So if someone would have wished for, let's say, a quill, then depending on the power of the wish, the quill could have been handstakingly crafted out of thin air, or taken from across the world to get to the hands. It all depends on the power of the wish. What does this have to do with the history of Adriang, you may ask? Well, the whole middle period of the kingdom was, essentially, a major turning point in its history. Originally, that was when the kingdom would have fallen. That was when the Bast would have taken over the corruption of the state at the time. However, because of the third prince, Galindor, that didn't happen. You see, somehow he'd obtained a wish, and he wished that the fall of his kingdom had never happened. You might think that this could happen more times than we can count, but fortunately, or rather fortunately, this is the only case where the wisher remembers making the wish. He, of course, made a little autobiography early in his life, to better get the details of what exactly happened to cause his kingdom's downfall before he lost it to time and memory. But we can now know from context clues based on that work, as well as some gods vouching for the mythical other time period occurring. Originally, there were twelve royal births, those having nine princes and three princesses. Galandor was supposed to be the ninth. Now, there are only five royals, that being the three princes and two princesses, along with an assortment of other issues. Like the misgendered daughter of a local merchant noble, there was supposed to be a son, as well as the case of the entire cabal of gangs in the lower slums that directly rebelled during the Civil War, to have been brought up the path of the straight and narrow, and making the name for themselves in various business ventures. Now, we will not be going into the alternative history that did indeed take place. If you want that, I would try looking into the prince's autobiography, which is titled I pinned to the glossary near the back of the book. We will, though, of course, have to keep in mind the decisions that the third prince made to rise to a power. Due to his experience in the time period, as well as the fact that he was brought back to being a three-year-old child due to a wish, with all the status that he had in that alternate time period. Assumably, this was because that was when the events all started to unfold into the destruction of the kingdom. But what we can't not, and could not know, gods aren't really talkative about wishes after all. So keep that in mind as we head into the first appearance in court. We gleam that, uh... Sir... There's smoke on the horizon. Instantly, Valdor stood up from his chair. He glanced away from the dining table towards the man who stepped through the curtained archway. But is that all? Is you coming in here disturbing my dinner I'm having worth it? He angrily strode towards the shivering man. He was right to be scared, though. Valdor was an elf, an earth affinity. So he could accidentally kill someone if he squeezed someone's throat too hard. I just thought that you'd want to know what's coming from the desert. That, uh, put a stop in Falder, coming rant. Fire, in and of itself, wasn't necessarily something to be concerned about. 
Many people often camped outside the city walls and waited to head inside, either to sell wares, sightsee, anything that they might want to do, really. Even touch upon the underground markets held by Erinan's main lord, Felder himself. However, no one came along the desert path, not since he abandoned his outpost. That could only mean one of three things. Did you see signs of monsters on the road coming? The little bast shook his head and he stepped up the cragged face of his boss. No, sir. No one on the towers did either, but there was too much smoke in the air. It was like a dark cloud growing. This made Father frown. It wasn't uncommon for fire monsters to be born occasionally in the desert. That was where the affinity most naturally occurred besides active lava mountains. However, a broom of smoke made him wary. If they hadn't seen any monsters coming now, that most likely meant that it was a bigger monster than the usual two-meter-tall ones. Or it could have been that building. But it had been too long now. Anything might have reacted poorly with anything else. Should have had the Aether dissolved by now. Prepare our men. We have them assembled on the walls. I feel like something big is coming. The bast held a paw and salute before going back through the curtains. Baldur's sighed as he looked back towards the dining table. There, sitting atop it, was a particularly rare delicacy called Cobalt. Its tail had been cut off, of course. That was the most delicious part of the thing, at least in Baldur's opinion. Unfortunately, his chef might have to cast some ice magic to better keep this cooled. Hello, get some ice mages. I'm going to have to postpone dinner. His shout echoed across the room as the door opened up on the other side of the room, revealing a rather young Ev. All right, sir, anything else? Baldur thought for a moment before shaking his head. No, that's it. Wait, wait, no, prepare me some chocolate wine I've been saving. I think after we beat back the beast, I might celebrate my ten years here. The Eve nodded its slightly leafy head and it headed back into the kitchen, while yelling for ice. Father chuckled. He always liked his subordinates, especially the chefs. They catered to his specific diet particularly well. As he headed towards the curtained exit, he stared back at the table. He thought to himself he shouldn't, but he couldn't help himself. He went and stuffed his mouth with a couple fingers and left. As he crunched through the bone and scale, his legs took him through the hallway towards the stairway up. Mind did I have to build all this below ground, he thought to himself. It's not like anyone actually cares what I do out here. He passed by a couple doorways, with some containing tests that he'd done in the tower, while others contained successful tests. He could tell which were successful based on the sounds they made in their prison. Those that were silent had succeeded, those that hadn't was still screaming. He headed up the worn stone stairway. Moss covered some of the steps, offering a natural spring into his step as he headed upwards. Before he reached the top, he headed off into the illusioned wall. His underground network headed throughout the important buildings within the city that he was lord of. Thankfully, he chose the right hallway, as this one had a sigil of the barracks upon it. He headed down the dimly lit path as the next wall came in front of him. He pressed his hand against the side into the groove and it slid open for him, revealing a dimly lit storage closet. He walked through, sealed off the entrance behind him, and sent out his senses. When he received nothing, 
he stepped through the closest door and headed towards the walls, passing through the corridors before reaching the training square. He had to reach the walls to give a rousing speech, of course, but there was something that he had to do first. That was to actually see the darkness for himself. He steadied himself before he jumped off the cobble towards the highest tower in the land. As the wind whipped past his face, cutting grooves along his rocky eyes, he prepared his legs to receive such a hard landing. Getting up was easy for him, but falling down was insanely harder without breaking something. As he fell towards the tower's top, he cast absorption and slow until he hit his target. Thankfully for him, he had managed to cast enough instances to not damage the tower in his fast descent. There was no one else manning these particular ramparts too, so no damage was done to any of his men. Unfortunately, now that the wind was out of his face, he could finally clearly see why the commander had come down in such a rush. There, seemingly sitting upon the horizon, meeting the meadows leading to the desert sands, was a smoke as pitch black as the night. Seeing it made him remember something from a long time ago. So, you're still alive, Criddons. Ah, sorry I put off your execution so long. On the bright side, your meat will definitely taste better now that it's aged. Who knows? Maybe Goddess Balloon will finally give me that wish I need once I eat you. Hey, uh, Marvel, there's a dark cloud usually considered a bad thing around here. Yes, yes it is. End of chapter. Chapter 29. Jesus motherfucking Christ, Marvel. Becking hell. Fell backwards onto goddamn table. Even Kojo just flew around the back of the carriage. Thankfully, the rope holding the canvas is strong. Otherwise, he should have just flown out the back. I get my bearings as I try to climb back up from the floor, rubbing the back of my head. Of course, no answer comes in response to my cries as the carriage seems to bounce even more along the road. Um, Dave, um, could you maybe get him to slow down? The carriage is throwing me around and making me nauseous. I turn my head to look at Kojo. Oh god, buddy, you've turned upside down. You're right, we've got to stop this. I push to my feet and steady myself. The movement of the carriage adds a side-to-side -side wobble as well as the bumps, so I brace myself to move forward on sea legs. I hobble my way past the table towards the front of the carriage and pull open the driver's side curtain. There, Marwall is frantically whipping at the reins and the weight. How is it that you... You know what? Not even going to question how the rhino pull bug is still pulling the carriage while it's rolling. Marwall, what the hell are you doing? Kojo's been thrown around the back, not to mention I hit my back on the table. My attention is drawn away from him as I finally look to the horizon. There, slightly to my left, is the city I think that we've been heading to for most of the week. Honestly, I think that the settlement kind of deserves that moniker. I expected perhaps, due to what I'd seen in this world so far, to see dilapidated houses, maybe a wall around the perimeter. But what I now see was very different. There is a wall, of course, but it's much higher and definitely wider than I would have imagined. It looks to be almost six stories tall and is wide enough to be manned. The buildings rise behind the wall at an even greater height, looking none the worse for wear. Then the lights of the city. The light of the city is bright enough to reflect off the dark clouds looming in the sky. Although the lights encompassed a myriad of colors, 
they mostly lean towards variations of blue, which seem to be emanating from some sort of crystals used both in lamps and embedded in the actual pathways and walls. The effect was to make it seem the city was itself glowing. I took it all in, while clutching the wagon support as we headed towards the large imposing wall at a frightening speed. Behind me, I see why we're going at a breakneck pace. The large gate, which almost reaches the top of the very high wall, is closing, and Marwar seems to be determined to make it there before it finishes closing. Crap, they won't let us in when they close it! Marwar's head shakes vigorously as he once more whips the reins. The dirt on the road almost parting to either side of the carriage beast digs further into the crowd for more traction. Why are they closing it now? Isn't that even normal? He brings his hand and points towards the sky, quickly before bringing it back towards the range. Crap, the black clouds have grown and they seem to be coming from farther right of the city. They are crawling across the sky, blotting out the sunshine of the remaining day. As I notice this, I realize that it's not clouds, but smoke. Something really big is burning, and it seems to be coming towards the city. Do you have anything that could get us there faster? He nods before shoving the reins into my hands and rushes back into the carriage. How do I do this? Um, giddy up. Skill, animal companionship has reached max level. Further skill evolution not available at this time. Skill, description updated. Animal companionship level 20, max percent. Cost 10 AP. As with all things, animals are both a help and a hindrance. It is best to keep them in a good mood most of the time. This skill allows you to slowly shift the opinion of any animal you spend time with. Since your skill has reached the highest achievable level, you can now transfer the effects from various abilities and skills, without any cost or activate for the animal companion. Wait, what is that, um, why did it get activated when I haven't even used it since Kojo learned to speak common? Wait, don't tell me it's the carriage beast. No, I'm not hearing anything from him. Some it can't be. Wait, it said it could transfer abilities and skills to it, right? What would be helpful here? Wait, wait, I have that speed ability. Now, how do I do it? Does it activate via intention or beginning transfer of ability, speed, transfer to Armal Ruptor, complete? Now, how do I get him to... Whoa! At first, it doesn't seem like anything has physically changed around the thing. Its shell is still serrated like it was before, and the horns are still poking out of the sides somewhat. But then, something happened. Its shell gained a glossy shine, and the edges around down smooth points, and the horns are almost disappearing into the shell. As they were pulled inward, the speed wasn't really noticeably at first, but I can feel the bumps from the cart far more than before. Wait, crap, hope this carriage has good suspension, Otherwise, we may break down before we reach the city. We'd likely get stuck outside with whatever thing is making that much smoke. The gates are getting closer and at an astonishing rate, but it still seems to be falling. Crap! This is going to be close. Hope that whatever Marwall is doing isn't... Boom! Holy fucking hell! Where? Oh, that's a big firework that just right, right over my head. Crap, I can't hear anything now. Wait... The gate stopped. Yes! Finally, some good luck. Wait. I think I just realized something. How the hell do I get it to stop? Marwal, 
I liked your idea with the firework, but I need help now. I don't know how to stop this thing. Um, do I just pull back on the reins? No, definitely not. Ah, crap. It's getting closer. I can see the people at the gate panicking. Wait, what if I get rid of the speed? Can I take it back? The ability speed has been removed from Armal Raptor. Okay, seems like the steed is slowly shifting back to what he was before he used that ability. And it is slowing down some. Okay. Never mind, it isn't slowing down at all. Okay, remember, how do you slow down? Increase friction. How can I do that? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I just like that. My thinking is interrupted by a sharp tug on my shoulder, and the reins being forcibly taken from my grasp. Marvel! And yes, there he is, appearing like one of those old heroes of yore, looking for all the world heroic. That is, if you weren't such a fuzzball. Dave... Turning my head, I find Kojo peeking through the curtain, seeming to be bouncing much more than usual. Instinctively, I grab onto him and pull him close to stop the shaking. Thanks. You wouldn't believe how much shaking I've had to deal with. For some reason, it just kept getting worse. By the way, Gunver says thanks. I look down at him quizzically. Gunver? The guy pulling our carriage. Ah, um, can he stop? Oh... Oh, um, yeah, no. He can't really control his speed when he rolls, so, uh... Well, shit. Marwell, can you stop him from ramming into people? The wall, or literally anything at all? At this, he forms still. He's almost like a deer in the headlights. Then slowly, he shakes his head. Go. Oh, this is definitely going to be much worse than I thought. Is it okay to panic now? He doesn't give a response, but then again, I don't really think he needs to. All right. Uh, anything, anything at all. Just think of something, goddammit. Wait. Wait. Growth! I could just... Yeah, might work. If we aren't going too fast, growth time to Sonic at this bitch. Reaching deep within me, I pull my manner and fall speed it as much as possible into the spell. I'm not too sure if this will work exactly like I'm thinking. But if I can influence how the grass has grown, maybe I can do one of the old-fashioned Mobius loops. But uh, I guess the question is how do I pick grass that can do that? Because that's all I got around you, other than a few flowers. Wait, I have the mini-map thing I can do. Just select an area in front of me, that's a bit way, and just start there. Directing my magic through my spell, I can feel my mana throw through me, into the floor of the carriage, and through the ground. I didn't feel that before. Weird. But I guess what I'm asking for is going to use a lot of mana to do, so it makes sense that I feel something significant happening. And there it is, the grass growing, interwining, knotting itself, and yes, I got it! Alright everyone, I suggest you to hang on to something. If this works, we might end up upside down or mashed up against the floor. At this, Marwal looks back at me, almost questioningly. Then he sighs and pulls a deeper next to him. The carriage got disconnected. Well, I feel stupid, but at least Gunva will be able to wait No. He just plowed through the loop and started going in circles. Well, it's a good thing there's something we can do to stop our carriage, and not a moment too soon either. As we pass by the gate of the wreckage of the looping steed, we find ourselves right in front of the gate. One of the two guards comes up to us, and one left behind, who looks like a bast, just with the different fur colorings. Seems to be in a huff before turning his attention back to the crankshaft on the other side. 
the one that is approaching us. I think it's an ev, judging by the general body shape and how it seems to be made up of grass around us. He, I think, whistles in amusement at the whole affair before turning towards Marwal. Well, can't say I've seen something like that in a while. Uh, anyways, let's get inside. Think a monstrous attacks are coming. By the way, welcome to Aranad. Hope you enjoy your stay. End of chapter. Chapter 30 The guards let us in almost too easily. I'd have thought there would have been some security or something, but they almost pushed us in as they closed the door. They also pushed in our steed, Gunva, or maybe Warwall may call on him, I don't know. But it didn't take too long to hook him back up into the carriage and continue to drive farther into the actual proper town. When I was done doing the work to get the beast back into its harness, I finally noticed my surroundings. I've got to say, I didn't really expect something like this. Judging from how dilapidated the previous villages were that I had been in, I expected some kind of widespread economic recession or something. But these people seemed to be doing fine. As we guide our carriage away from the gate, bidding the two guards goodbye, my eyes come to view the streets. The cobblestones seem to fit together almost seamlessly, and for some reason they're uh, clean. And doesn't seem right. These people live in the medieval ages, don't they? Shouldn't they have poor cleaning facilities? I'll just talk it out to magic and move on. If I can use it with much less issue, I expect others can do it so as well. The buildings also look uh, good, I guess. I mean, there doesn't really need to be much of the way of dirt and detritus on them. Sure, there was grass and such outside the pass and even some gardens dotting around but any marks you could find don't really seem to put there by accident. Everything on the building guides the eye towards either the windows or the doors. Some had signs displaying pictographs, while others had actual words. I mean, they seem to be medieval buildings, but they seem to contain more the essence of Holland than any regular European influence. Yes, I know how weird it is for me to know about buildings, but the truth is that I started college with some classes in architecture. I learned from that mistake, but I did pick up some odd tidbits of information as well. The thing that most caught my eye, though, was the lack of people in the streets. There was hardly anyone traveling on the streets, other than the various ebbs, vasts, and other things I hadn't seen before rushing to head into buildings, too quickly for me to really get a proper look at them. Why is everybody rushing around? Shouldn't the walls and guards actually protect them? While contemplating, I noticed Kocho escape from the confines of the carriage and look past the curtain, seeming to study the various people outside. Well, monsters are bad. Marwal nods once before snapping the reins and making Gunva roll a bit faster through the streets. I looked questioningly at him before snapping my attention back to Kocho. Why are monsters so bad anyway? Aren't they any different than regular animals? Kojo looks almost offended. I mean, uh, I think he does. Kind of a hard to tell with the muzzle, even if it's smaller than usual. Animals have worldly needs. Monsters are more spiritual. What? Monsters like to feed off energy of the soul whenever they're around. They try to feed off the emotions of their prey before trying to consume the rest. They don't really even need to be touching them to it to occur more often than not. Excuse me, what? They, uh, eat emotions. 
Kojo nods a bit before falling silent. Well, that's kind of concerning. Then again, how the hell are motions actually physical, tangible things? You know what? Maybe I can find a god or goddess of knowledge or something, and they can tell me what's what. I'm sure I have some knowledge that he'd like in return if he's not willing to just give me that information. We move through the town, and I keep looking around, fascinated. Eventually, I notice that we're slowing, and we pull over into a somewhat open section just off the street. Oh, wait. I just noticed a sign on the building. It's got a bed on it, so it's probably an inn or something. Nice. I get to see what money's actually worth, except we aren't stopping and instead are just turning into a shaded alley. Um, Marwell, the inn was back there. He nods before seeming to slow down to a crawl and proceeds to park the carriage right here. Is there an actual reason why we're stopping in the ass end nowhere? He nods before jumping out of the driver's seat. He motions for me to get off, so I grab Kojo by the mossy scruff and jump off too. Hey, that hurts, you know. Sorry, Kojo. Figured it would be better for me to carry you now for a while, considering. Kojo seems to ponder it for a while before relaxing himself. All right. I guess it's your turn to carry me anyway. Onward. No, Dave. Don't. Don't squeal. It's not adorable. Who am I kidding? He looks like a puppy Superman. Just don't draw attention to it. I bring him to my shoulder so that he can find a good seat for a while. After he gets in a comfortable position and grip, I turn towards Marwell and, uh... Marwell? What is that? He looks to be holding something weird. It doesn't look like anything that was on the carriage. I mean, it's a slate, but it's green and glowing and it's got something etched onto it. It looks like a language, but it isn't translating. Guess it's not common then but I might as well put it into memory. Hmm, kind of... Uh, wait, no? Why would uh, ruins... I mean, uh, it looks like ruins. So, are you going to tell? Green lights fills the alley as the slate disappears from his paws. Um, well, that was... Uh, wait, the carriage is gone. Marwell, where the hell is the carriage? He pulls out a little slate from his back, which says, don't worry about it. Why the hell shouldn't I worry about it? You don't have any way to actually leave now. Plus, there was all your stuff in there. He seems to sigh and does a little twinkling motion in the air. Ah, the magic hand sign. All right, so he knows where it went. All right. So, we're heading to the inn up front. He nods before taking his satchel, grabbing me by the arm and sprinting off out of the darkened alley. His grip tightens as we come back out into the brightness of the main streets. Even the sun is mostly blocked by the clouds. I use my other hand to block some of the incoming light as we head around to the front of the inn. Windows up to the third story seem to be barred or blocked by something and the doors are shut completely. Marwell begins to pound on the door before a terrified voice speaks up. Who's there? Sees Marwell can't really talk. I'll just speak up for him. It's some travelers hoping for a room to spend the night. There was a moment of silence and a pause until I hear the sounds of several locks being undone, as well as something heavy being moved. The door finally swings open and, uh, damn, that's a tall bast. It seems that an almost six and a half feet tall, and judging by the four-foot company I keep, that's outright abnormal. Get in, quick, now hurry. 
The tall bar sweeps us all into his inn with a motion of his long arm. I almost fall onto the hardened floor as I trip on one of the chairs that was stacked to the side of the door. The inside kind of looks like an old Irish tavern I went to a long time back. All curvy wood pieces, elegantly carved chairs, a fireplace off to the side opposite the stairs, and a little window showing where all the alcohol is. God damn, I finally have access to alcohol. Can get drunk of my ass. How long has it been? No, uh, not worth it. There's a monster attack coming anyway. Looking around, I also find some other people sitting at tables drinking, eating, and some heading up a flight of stairs to the side looking exhausted. I'm guessing that the second and third floors are mainly housing then. And then I noticed the thing in the corner. It was not a bast, nor is it an eve. It isn't even like that one orc I helped kill. It's almost like a lizard, or maybe more apt description would be a raptor. They got the same sort of face like one at least, just taller, has more straightened back, and their hand is more jigits, claws, fingies, fingies. I got a nice old style trench coat, and some good slacks. It's got some kind of spike crest going from its head down along its tail, which pokes out from its stool and lays lazily around the floor. I can't really tell what its feet look like though, with those weird shoes on them. Wait. Shoes? Dear God, I've missed shoes. Please let there be a shoemaker nearby. Wait. I think I haven't been paying attention. Those two are talking somehow. I don't see why not. It's not going to scratch or break anything, right? The tall, lumbering leopard seemed to growl, like Marwall shakes his head. All right then, so twenty for the two beds, and then ten for tomorrow's breakfast, if the supply lines aren't broken. Marwell nods, handing over a couple silver pieces. Okay, so three silver is equal to thirty-something else. Probably bronze, more copper maybe. Hey! I turn my attention to the man who towers over me. Marvel says you can talk and listen, so here it is. Don't break anything. It's expensive to replace things after monster attacks. I nod frantically and take a step backwards to get away from the guy's toothy maw. His frown is rapidly replaced with the gleaming teeth of a sharp tooth smile. Good. Now, do you want anything before I go back to helping at the bar? Uh, no, I'm good. Unless you got some... Uh, wait, if I say brand name, it would even have it. Maybe they'd give me the local equivalent. Just to be safe, I'll use something that's basically 100% not able to mistranslate anyway. Beer and maybe some soup. He raises an eyebrow before replying. Yeah, special of the day is vegetable. And are you sure you want alcohol? It isn't even nighttime yet. Yeah, we're all gonna die anyway. I'd like to at least be drunk while it happens. He stares at me for a second before chuckling. You and I are gonna be fast friends. The name is Barak. I'll get right to it. He turns away and seemingly wills away a part of the wall to look into the kitchen. Oi, Anissa! We got a soup special. Then a rather feminine voice rings out from farther in. Yeah, I'll get on it. Keep your pants on. With that, Burak huffs before seeming to pull down the wall, while Marwal walks up the stairs, and Kojo pounces off my head to follow him. I get a hold of my senses. How do you do that? He looks a bit confused for a moment before he realized I'm pointing at the wall. Ah, it's an illusion charm. I had an old friend cast it on the kitchen window and door. Too many patrons complained about the noise when my wife cooks. 
so I thought that maybe I could get this to help. Not really adept to geomancy anyway. Huh. Neat. Before you go to the bar, I want to ask some questions. Marvel's kind of... Uh, something seems to glint in his eyes as he pulls away from him towards the bar. Yeah, he's got away with words, that one. Confused, I turn towards him. You know, he doesn't speak, right? He nods at my words. Sure, sure. But that's what uh, face reading is for. How am I supposed to be an accepting in if I don't know what people are talking about? Sure, I can learn a language, but most people end up speaking what they want with their faces anyhow. Alright, so judging from the weird pronunciation of that, face reading is a skill. And a rather good one at that. Okay, he does sort the stool for me as I sit down. Looking around, I notice that he hasn't really seated me anywhere near somebody. That's a bit odd, but then again, I'm probably the first human anyone's ever seen around here. Alright then, something's on my mind. I turn towards him, noticing that he's looking through some lower cabinets. His ears seem to flick at my impromptu conversational starter. What is it? Our monster attacks normal around here. He chuckles a bit before shaking his head. We may be near the despairing desert, but we don't actually get all that much around here. Sure, one or two people might go missing due to some monster attacks out in the world woods, but nothing this huge, no. Dang, guess monsters are more widespread than I thought. Why didn't we run into any, though, on our way here? Also, why the hell are their naming conventions so, uh, off? He slides something onto the tabletop in front of me, and I glance down. There lies a glass of beer. Like, an actual glass. Why does that kind of glass exist here, though? Shouldn't clear glass require a lot of tech to actually make? Plus, that liquid is as clear as vodka, but it's also got a slightly brownish hue to it. Did something get lost in translation? I look up towards him to voice my complaint before he stops it. I know, it's not like normal beer. We got it special. Thought you could use a pick-me-up. Yeah, guess he's right. Even if alcohol is technically a downer. When was the last time I even had no stress? Thanks. Don't mention it. He turns back towards the bar and puts back a lot of bottles I didn't know he had taken out. By the way, if it's not too much trouble, I trail off. Is it insensitive if I ask this? Well, what is it? Can't keep my ear all day, you know, he replies. Why are you so tall? Most bars I've met have been ungodly short. He stiffens a little bit before letting out a breath. That's, uh, well, uh, bars come in three different sizes. You won't really know until you're old enough what size you get to be, though. I got the worst out of the three, believe me. I wish I was shorter. Huh. I used to know that. Guess tall guys aren't really that desirable, then. Well, here's to you finding a shrink spell or something. I reach towards my glass, lift it to the sky, and then bring it to my lips. The cherry sweet and sour mixture hits my tongue, but as I try to detect what flavors are actually in this, I notice that there's a buzzing sound and it seems to be getting louder. What the hell is... My words are interrupted as the entire building shakes, and from the ceiling, something crashes down in a wave of wooden shrapnel and dust. Thankfully, it wasn't anywhere near close to me, but judging by the pained grunts, someone was caught underneath that. Crap, did a monster just get past the walls or something? Gotta analyze that quick. Name, Valdor Victoro. Race, Ev, Rock. Affinity, Earth, Stone. Class, Berserker, Level 70. Lord, Level 50. 
Titles, Lord, Balloons Loyal, Cannibal. Level 102. HP 92,820. MP 765. AP 50,000. Boop. I think we're fucked. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.